Hi, I'm Jennifer Palmieri, and welcome to Just Something About Her from The Recount and iHeartRadio. On this podcast, I talk to powerful women about how they made it to the top on their own terms. As usual, I'm going to call on my producer, Sari Soffer, to help me introduce this week's guest. But this time, thanks to modern science and our shared love of music, we were able to meet in person for the first time and with our audio engineer, Dee. Take a listen. Oh, hey. Oh, my gosh. Hi. <laughs> See you guys. Yes. Nice to meet you. So good. Right? All right. So we're at the Ram's Head in Annapolis. Yes, it's the first time we're meeting, which is very <laughs> exciting, but it's also the first time we're doing an interview in person. And you said we had to come because Jade Bird, the artist, is here. So tell me a little bit about so her. So Jade Bird is a phenomenal singer-songwriter. She's 23. She's coming out with her second album. She's got this amazing voice. But one of the things I love about her, she writes the way people speak. There is something so genuine about her. And it, you'll see, like, she just has this monster voice. Well, you know, because now yes, I have made you, I have forced you into being a company. I Jade now Bird listen fan. to Jade when I run. I listen to Jade when I cook. I listen to Jade when I sleep. I just love all of her stuff now. So I'm really, really excited for this. And it's our first live music show since exactly. the pandemic started. So. so we can feed your habit of seeing live music now? Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, I normally do, like, once a week, and I haven't been to one <laughs> wow. since... March 6th, 2020, in Nashville, last show I saw. Amazing. Let's go in. Let's do it. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Jennifer, really nice to meet you. Really nice to meet you. This is Sari. Nice to meet you. And this is Dee. Hey, Dee. How are you doing? Jade Bird, welcome to Just Something About Her. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having me. You get to be my first show since the pandemic. I know, it's exciting, isn't it? It's uh, It's been crazy. We've done like, I think, three shows now, and it's been it's been really good to be back in such a familiar space, I think. What does it feel like? Because we are in Annapolis, which mm. is the town that I happen to live at. We're at the Ram's Head, which is, yeah. you know, relatively storied music venue. Yeah. Very small, very intimate. And there's huge plexiglass walls. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's oh, inviting. Uh, you started in Mobile, Alabama, right? Yeah, which was, that's how, do I, was how do I explain I this? Born, that's where I was born. Really? Well, they didn't take the procedures quite as seriously as today, as you can maybe imagine. So it's a bit like navigating through a minefield doing a tour at this point. I don't know. I'm just like, I'm glad people have, I keep asking every night, you know, is this your first show back to a lot of people? And a lot of people say yes. Like majority of people say yes. So that's really cool. To be yeah, like I the think first you're. Back. I think you're one of the first people out there. You yeah, know? I know. It sounds like me. How did it feel to get back on stage that first time? Did it feel familiar or did it feel different? Familiar. There's something strange about playing on stage. Whenever you go back to it, you're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's a sense of feeling kind of born to do it a little bit. I think my inner only child of only children comes out. You know, look at me, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I, I am joking, but I just love it. I genuinely love it to death, yeah. We interviewed Brandi Carlisle, mm-hmm. and she told me that since she was nine years old, mm-hmm. she has never gone longer than two weeks without being on a stage. Wow. Oh, my. That is insane. I know. 
I know. I, I just bought her book. I cannot wait to read that because I just admire her more than, you know, I think anybody on this planet. You know, I, I heard you say, mentioned her before in a previous interview, and I think mm-hmm. you said something like the fact that her sixth album yeah. was like the one that won Grammy for Best Americana, like mm-hmm. the joke, I think, won Best Americana Song. Mm-hmm. So is it that she's always growing or like what's that for you that's so compelling? I think as a woman and especially in the British music industry, there's a clock on success or there appears to be a clock on success and it feels like the older you get when you're young when I when you start so young like me I was 18 when I kind of first got my first thing out and so you feel like you've punched the clock and you feel like there's only a certain amount of time before people are going to take you off that stage and it's just this innate belief and maybe it's not as informed maybe things are really changing but I feel like when I see Brandy or Jessie Ware or these women in the 30s who have a family and have a career and they're still doing it to an incredible standard and level, even to the point where the success being confirmation hasn't come till their sixth album, which is what, 10 years? That's a whole decade of just self-belief and graft. And I think that to me, it allows me to have a bit of freedom in my mind of being like, there's no clock. You know, you're running on your own time. This is like our whole thing right now yeah. is this notion of women pacing themselves. Mm-hmm. And you, are you 23, 24? 23, yeah. 23, right. And so what you're articulating yeah, is exactly yeah. what we're talking about. It is. It's scary, I think, to an extent because, you know, I'm sat here being ridiculously fortunate to have had a record deal at 18. I, I guess it must feel quite a lot more daunting if people haven't even had a pinch of success by like, you know, late 20s or whatever, because although it's changing for a sustainable career, for starting a career in music, I wonder how tough that is. Because in a world where labels are dominated by male record executives, male A&Rs, are they going to sign a woman in their mid-30s? Like, I actually don't think it's probably going to be the case, which is scary. I find that more scary because I've already in two, three years feel like so much of a better songwriter than I would have done at 18 prime time to be plucked out of obscurity. Right. Weird. Weird. Right. <laughs> but it's so it's so great for me to hear you say that you see what you want to be, that you see Brandy Carlisle, who's 39 years old, has her family, tours with her family, tours with her wife, mm-hmm. tours with her children, and like keeps getting better. And I think this is important. She keeps gaining power in music. And also in her own lane, the thing I admire about her is it's quite genre bending through her career. Like I know it's country, but it's kind of, you know, country in a new way. You know, I think she often talks about being a lesbian in that space, which is traditionally quite conservative. And that in itself is the most inspiring thing ever for me, you know, just to see her succeed and and do that and just change the face of country. I think my favorite story Brandy told was there was a record DJ who recently just passed away called Rita Houston, and she was just a phenomenal support. And Brandy talks about she was hiding the pictures of her girlfriend on her phone when she first had this interview. She's really young. And Rita, you know, is obviously gay herself. And she was like, you don't have to hide. Like, you know, don't, don't hide that. You know, you should be proud of that. And she talks about it being really motivational for her. And I just think that's one of the most heartwarming stories I know of. And I think the reason that that Brandy story resonates with me, I often feel like that about my past. So I think having a strange... about what? You know, like having a strange past, for example, my mum was in a very toxic relationship and forever I felt quite reluctant to appear anything other than strong in my life, be it in my personal life or my musical life. I'm like this person who probably looks like I had a, you know, pretty straightforward childhood when in reality it was quite the opposite. And I guess... 
I think what's coming to light now is it's okay to not be quite so censored. But there still is this weird innate feeling that I'm going to get, you know, journalistically violated if I talk about it or it's going to be spun. I think the music industry is probably hard that way. I think mm. a lot of music journalists, I mean, there are some amazing women and journalists, I feel like, in music. Agreed. But I think what's amazing about you is there just doesn't be any affectation about you. You do seem to be very comfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's kind of how I was brought up, I think. You know, it's a lot to do with, like, the regional parts of England. Like, my family's from the north, which yeah. is kind of prides itself on being very grounded, very down to earth, you know, not to get above yourself. Kind of like the Midwest in America, very, maybe. Very, very, very similar. And that's why I love playing these towns, because... I really resonate with people there because I kind of grew up in a small town. I kind of know what it's like. I mean, that's why whenever I meet young girls who, you know, come like eight or nine and I just always put on the posters like dream big because, you know, in small towns, I think it might be different in America, but I never felt like I had the ability to do so without appearing to be above myself. You know, you're almost above yourself because you want to be creative or you want to be a musician sometimes. And that's kind of an odd thing to face it that young right you know what I mean that right complex. right that you might need to limit yourself just because other people's expectations of you are not as big as your own oh, yeah exactly. but you didn't exactly no I you didn't. didn't for some bizarre reason I don't know <laughs> so that same innate yeah. sense of you that tells you it might be a problem tells you I'm going to do it anyway you're probably right there it's actually quite a nice thing to hit on I think my mom being a single mother as she was for a really long time I think what she always wanted for me because she had me at 20 years old I think all she, what she wanted me was to have the ability to dream and to follow that you know and if I worked hard enough for anything I could get it you know that was what she instilled in me which is definitely what I instill on my kids or my daughters or anything like that my understanding is you were sort of raised by your grandmother and your mother mm-hmm. so yeah. there's the three of you in pretty- one little tiny like teeny tiny house yeah it's kind of crazy going back there and thinking like wow yeah we no wonder we fell out at times it's <laughs> <laughs> a lot, yeah, lot, yeah. lot three generations but like yeah. what did you what did they show you what did you learn from your grandmother and your mother my mom worked very 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 hard and has always worked very hard in something unfortunately that she doesn't love necessarily like she works in sales so when I was a kid she was a cleaner of a cinema and then she was working two jobs you know as being in a gas station or I think a store or Tesco like the equivalent here it's like a Walmart basically yeah 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 and now she's like you know kind of a sales executive in a company I can't even explain to you the progression my mom's had in a yeah that is quite a she's only 43 then yeah it's ridiculous I mean she's what quadrupled her pay grade since she had me and she really did have to start again she was in the army when she got pregnant with me she had to leave the army same as my grandma. My grandma's really interesting. She was in the army and she had to leave because the law in that time was you couldn't be pregnant and be in the army. That's how yeah. kind of backwards that was. Yeah. My grandma's wow. only 65. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. It's mad. But I was brought up by them, yeah. And when did you start singing? When did, you know, what was that path like? When did you get into music? When I was seven or eight, I played piano because there was free school lessons, which I emphasize because I really honestly feel like I don't know if I would have done it if they weren't free to start with. You know, so free music education for kids, I think it's just so paramountly important Mm -hmm. because if that hadn't happened, you know, when I was 12, 11, 12, I was always a writer, books, stories, poems, anything. It was a vent. And when I found the acoustic guitar... And then it's kind of weird because this, you know, very toxic male in my life, it actually introduced me to a lot of like the acoustic used to play two chords. And to me, it was, 
I don't know, when you're that young, somebody who's troubled or extremely troubled is so, it can really mess with your hair because it can look really cool until right. it all goes horribly wrong. And so there was a lot of a lot of my writing early on then took on that kind of maybe grief or twist or complexity that I've never really spoke about up until now. So, And yeah. that was a man in your life who was introducing you to music. Yeah, but... my mom's ex-partner. So it was, oh, you I know, see. it was quite a tough dimensional space, I think, three-dimensional space to try and navigate at 12 or 13. I think that's why my songwriting, you know, a lot of people have said it was, you know, sometimes like beyond years or, you know, ahead of the, you know, yeah. how old I was. <laughs> Those people are correct, Jade. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just, I think that came from maybe growing up a little bit quicker. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you don't have siblings. Yeah. And your mother, I find that may also be true for people who have young parents. Interesting. Yeah. So interesting. that It seems that their children are sort of old souls. Yeah, because you're a peer. Yeah. Yeah, Whether you like it or not, you're a peer to your mum or your dad. And when you're a peer and then your best friend in the whole world goes through something like that, like an abusive relationship, like you're getting to watch your best friend kind of get their heart broken. I always say my first heartbreak was that. You know, and that's why I find journalism, when you don't talk about stuff quite derivative, it's like I wrote this song called Houdini. It's about male abandonment. That's on the next, this is on the upcoming album. It's really like, love it. And it's just so beautiful. And yeah, well, that story, the first verse is set as if I was a part of the argument that my mom, my parents had when I was like seven or eight in Germany. It's a quarter to three and it's clear, clear to me. And it kind of goes about the neighbours and it's all true. Right, like quarter of three in the morning. Exactly. It's all how it went off and went down and still quite a vivid memory. I always call them like vignettes. I find songs like this strange vignette of putting something that's very clouded onto paper into song. It's a very spiritual, magical kind of thing. You don't want to get too hippy-dippy. Yeah, no, that's great. But then I turned the Houdini metaphor into males in my life who made a disappearance. Every male, that when I was growing up, be it my dad in the army or just as a dad or stepdad or whatever. And I remember this piece coming out, this journalist piece being like, Jade's next breakup song. And I was like, oh, you know, man, like, oh, you know what I mean? But that's just, I do know exactly what you mean. <laughs> and those people are just kind of doofuses that have to write a headline and you yeah. just can't. But you have, you know, you have your own fans, you have your own platforms. Exactly. And I don't think that you're going to fall victim to what may have happened to other women, partly because you seem very sure of yourself and without that pretense. It's so. really interesting growing up, you know, if you even go to therapy or if you don't or if you read a lot of being very cocksure of yourself is a defense mechanism. And that's really useful to know. It's really useful to know because even though... If we're it, dealing with people who are cocky or... Yeah, yeah. To be like, cocky yourself. Not cocky, but like women who are very confident. And I think at first you might seem, you know, even me, you might seem a little bit threatened. And I don't know, like like I said, it's just that weird thing. But I think women who are maybe confident or powerful... I think we've gone through a hell of a lot. Yeah. You yes. know, that we have to be this person for. And it can bleed into your relationships at times when you have to be insecure and you find it impossible to be so. You know, it's tough. 
Yes. <laughs> My husband <laughs> yeah. will be here later. He can talk to you about that. I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to need someone? What? Yeah, it's the opposite. You're doing the opposite thing because you feel like I think society's done it for so long, you know, expected you to be this, I don't know, powerhouse. Yeah. It sounds like it was survival to have to have those wits about you. And I think so. You know, I always think like could have been a lot worse in a lot of occasions. And I think a lot of people have it to a case where they can't even be confident. I'm lucky that I've got to a point where I can use confidence as a defense mechanism. A lot of women specifically or non-binary people are stripped of that ability. So you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's yeah. like it kind of the pecking order falls down of, of trauma or victims of trauma. But yeah, I just, it's been really interesting for me being a tiny bit older, losing a bit of arrogance that comes with being young and only being focused on oneself. And I think you're way ahead of most people at 23. It's really amazing, Jade. All right, it's time to take a quick break. But after, we're going to hear more about how Jade landed a record deal at such a young age and discuss her lyrics, which are way beyond her years. That's next with singer-songwriter Jade Bird on Just Something About Her. Welcome back to Just Something About Her with a 23-year-old singer-songwriter and musician, Jade Bird. So you started playing guitar and singing at a young age, and then your first record deal was when you were 18. Mm-hmm. What happened in between those years to land you a record deal at such a young age? I mean, I played bars and clubs and pubs and everything from 14. Um, You're so, allowed to do that at that age? Well, that's the thing. That's oh. why. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Yeah. But yeah, I'd be up there four times a week. And then a lawyer came in and sort of found me. And I was doing all these A lawyer in the music industry? Yeah. And was this in London or this is in your little... Oh, okay. So I moved at 16. My mom made the big move with me and my new stepdad, who's a legend. He's a a great guy. In a good way? In a very good way. Yeah, He's brilliant. But they all moved down and we all moved down. And And they moved down because of your music career? Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. I'm ridiculously fortunate to have a mom that would do that. But at the same time, you know, I don't think there was anything too... There wasn't too much, not anything there for my mommy either. And then I was in a position where I was meeting various managers and managed to choose my managers that I'm very, very grateful for. The men I do have in my life, I feel supremely grateful for. Like my managers, like my partner, like my photographer, you know, he's my best friend. Yeah. I seem to, you know, I got the good guys and it's probably intentional in a way, but they're Yeah, you gravitate towards good men. That's a good thing to know about uh, yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because it could be a lot worse. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what is it that you love about this work that you do? Is it the writing? Is it the performing? Is it the recording? Mm. Like what? It's ever changing. Uh It's ever changing because I love playing live. When I'm on that stage for 30 minutes or an hour, there's nothing in my brain. It's just playing live. It's just this conversation with the audience. I love the writing. When I'm cooking on the writing, that's like some whole new level. When it's like really going well. Yeah, you know what I mean? And I like thrive on kind of being like, oh yeah, this is great. So you imagine that kind of thing with myself. I'm like, oh, I'm killing it right now. <laughs> I'm getting all, this, getting all this stuff out and it's and it's good. And I love that like, when that happens. It's, it's so is it part awesome. of it torturous for you, the writing? Or is it just, oh, yeah, or does it yeah, come? Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. I okay. Mean, I'm glad to hear, I'm sort of relieved to hear that. No, nah, like, it's not like, I just sit down and pen. You it know? just comes flying no, out. It's hundreds of songs. It's hundreds and hundreds of songs no kidding yeah 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 i get frustrated when anyone tries to make an art or a work or something they've done appear overnight yeah i'm really big believer in the malcolm gladwell ten thousand hour theory 
10,000 hours of whatever craft you do, if you put 10,000 hours in, you're considered maybe, you know, an expert at your craft. But you have to put that time in before you can be considered so. Even if I'm writing bad songs, you know, bad song after bad song after bad song, I know something good's going to come because I'm putting my hours in, you know, I'm clocking Yeah. In. Self-doubt is, you know, so paramount in music or in art or in writing because you're already starting off with the guilt of this isn't a real job. Yeah. You've already got that little guy going in your head like, really? Job? Work? Question mark? You know? <laughs> so you're, you're trying oh, to battle so with that. Um, but yeah. So you're songwriting. Mm-hmm. You write the way people speak. Mm-hmm. Does she wake up, put on makeup in the bathroom and go to work and stay real late and text you she'll be back soon? And I think that's probably a lot harder than it looks. Yeah, you Is know, that hard? It is and it isn't. It's certainly an effort. You know, that's why I liked country music because it just is how you talk. You know, like any good Dolly song, she'll just drop it in a conversation because that's exactly how she felt or what she said. Or, vignettes. Yeah. Vignettes. Yeah, exactly. And I think I just kind of love words. I'm obsessed in the most <laughs> basic primal sense for some reason since I've been a kid. If I get like a word or a phrase like Houdini, it inspires a whole concept. It's like lighting a bit of a match to a gasoline trail in my brain. And it's just like, pop, 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 pop. You know what I mean? It all just yeah. falls out. But I think the best songs are something you'd say. Uh, so you said before that you didn't like to co-write songs. Yeah, and the, yeah. Is that still true? Or is that because you don't like your looks at those like, I don't want some like, you know, white, yeah. like middle-aged dude telling me what I think. And I could see sometimes I'm the same way, which is like, I don't want to contaminate somebody else's thinking with my thinking. But um, yeah. I feel like some other, you know, women your age might not mm-hmm. have that kind of confidence. Like, mm-hmm. what would you tell young women about kind of trusting that own voice and like writing for yourself? I try not to get too preachy. You know, Alanis Morissette's Jag a Little Pill was co-written and I don't like that fact, you know, but it was. And I think, you know, sometimes it can be helpful to have somebody who knows you in a weird way to get your point across. So that's one side of it that I didn't mm-hmm. see when I was young and, you know, I'm <laughs> a very Five impulsive person, so I say what I think. But You know, from my perspective, it's like writing is your unique perspective on the world. Mm -hmm. It's you saying this insular conversation, this inner dialogue. It's you putting that on a page or in a song or in a thing. And for me, it's about how do you not tar the unique perspective? And I know if I'm sat there with a middle-aged bloke, some of the lines I come out with as an 18-year-old woman, he's probably not going to think they scan well or they sound you know, as they should in a pop song. Right. He's it's not like looking you're, you're, at it. It's like, friend, I wouldn't expect you to recognize it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, because it's like you haven't lived it. And, you know, no no offense to this anonymous white guy, but <laughs> poor guy uh, currently. The imaginary anonymous white guy. Yeah. I mean, he's probably not looking at it from a way of how do I allow this woman to say how she's felt about her life thus far. He's probably going, how do I get a successful record you know, to scan the best. So scanning is like singing the best. It's not bulky. It's not complicated. Oh, interesting. Oh, I didn't I even see. know the term until, yeah. I did until three seconds ago. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that's like... It's like, I don't mind being bulky on my debut. I don't mind saying things that don't rhyme every time. I got what I wanted to say across, and that was the most important thing. You know, most important thing, because I was young, and I think it's important that I sounded young because I was at the time. You know, that's my voice only. 
And it gives you room to grow, Jade, right? So it's like, okay, that was me at 18. This is me at 23. The next album will be me at... It was my voice. It's still yeah. my voice. It's always going to be my yeah. voice. However, that changes is probably for the best. Whether that becomes more mainstream, less mainstream, it's kind of who I am. So, you know, be that as it may, be that what it will. That's my personal mantra. I just, in my, you know, older years, I just want to be more careful that I don't say, like, point the finger or be like, you should do it this way. Because yeah. I don't think that's the case. You know, and I've co-written songs with my partner. The reason I think I've been able to do that is because he knows me so well. Right. You know, he knows me in and out, three years, love of my life. So that's why he can write my songs with me. And even then I have to write them first and he comes in after and we navigate how to make it the best it can possibly be. Right. You know, the core of the song is, yeah. has to be me on my own. I'm very precious about the process. It's just kind of who I am. But you had that instinct in you to know that I have to protect this work because it is yeah. going to be something different. And I don't want to, you know, fall into the trap that other women, you know, like when they were as young as you, Britney Spears, people like this, yeah. Taylor Swift, it took her a long time to... Also phenomenal, in phenomenal writer. Fair phenomenal play. folklore. When I look at them early, rec like Red and stuff, I'm like, fair play. You know, surprisingly, she was in a male-dominated country world, country yeah. pop world. And I think she's a great example of someone who got her voice across quite well. She's like yeah. a real transitional figure, I think, if you look That's at like... That's what it is. It's a murky water because, you know, there's a lot of people on her records, writing her records, I think, you know, as well as herself, but... It's everyone, everyone is different. I just, I would never want someone like a young woman like myself to be put in them rooms before she'd had the chance to write her own record. You know, I want the confidence to be in them young women who are signed and not for the process to be great. You've written some good stuff. Now let's put you in with X, Y, Z. Right. And see, see if we can get something better. It's right. also like, I feel like women artists are really killing it at the minute. And women authors, you know, I just picked up like Brandy Today, I picked up Brandy Carlisle's memoir, Japanese Breakfast memoir. And I'm sort of just stood there with like two of the best stories of the year, you know, thinking like, yeah, we're really, and just in general in indie music, in alternative music, women and non-binary people are just literally killing the space. And I'd love to see that. I live for that. Because I think even when I first started, it was harder. Even just like in the last five years then, yeah. you think it's changed or in the last 10 years? Because really, you've been writing songs probably for over 10 years, I imagine. Definitely, yeah. It's also weird because like I said, even though that's a thing, festivals still can't manage to come up with a 50-50 split. I don't understand why male acts don't boycott. I get really kind of annoyed by that when I see festival bills with males with a lot more leverage in terms of financially primarily. I'm like, why don't you just boycott the festival? Because if you take so away their headliners, they've got to book more... They got to work more women. Yeah. yeah. I right. mean, for a start, there should be more women headliners, full stop, you know. But it does annoy me. That would definitely help. All right, time to pay some bills. We'll be right back with Jade Bird to discuss her new album, which is coming out in August, next on Just Something About Her. Welcome back to Just Something About Her with Jade Bird. So the pandemic, were you touring when it started? What was the deal? How yeah, did that all was, go down for you? I was touring right until the very last minute. So I was in Europe and mm -hmm. we had to pull the show maybe just before because people were starting to really cotton on that COVID was not just a, you know, swine flu or bird flu or something. And then, yeah, everything shut down. I managed to do my record in the middle of it all. So did you write all your songs in the middle of the pandemic or was it things that you had been working on for a while? Well, we had this trip in the January of that year where I went to upstate New York 
to write. So I'd so that January of twenty. 2020 yeah yeah before everything shut down yeah you went to upstate new york and i thought i finished writing my record and then i came back and then we managed to get this brief moment of time where i could fly to nashville right. and i had to quarantine in mexico for two weeks and then i wrote another six songs so my album is this culmination of the shed in upstate new york and this apartment in mexico that i didn't leave for two weeks so so the pandemic mm-hmm. i mean it must have infected your writing do you think yeah some people like were crazy productive mm-hmm. and i was like i'm shutting out the world and now i can just like focus on writing and some people were like yeah. where's the next jar of peanut butter and some netflix <laughs> I think it was a bit of both. <laughs> I really struggled. I'm quite very self-disciplined. Like it's for me, I don't know why, but it's like, how many books can I read in a week? I have to write things down to make myself feel productive. I have a real massive guilt complex. Make like a list so that you yeah. can cross it off of like, yeah. these are the books that I need to read, for example, yeah. and then be like, look at all I did today. I yeah. crossed everything off my list. I don't know why, but that's me. And so... When I had this opportunity to go to Nashville and to do that, I think that's why Mexico, I wrote every day because I was like, this is my time to make it work. Right. I can't write at home. Oh. Yeah. So I was with my parents in my parents' house and I really struggled. Uh, that is very hard. I find that I do my best writing when I'm like on the road, like yeah. locked up in a hotel room or. Because you can go insular. When you're with yeah. your parents, there's this inability to go in. Right. And I think if you're writing, you have to be able to do that. But if your mom's sort of in the next room asking you if you want a tea, even though you love her to pieces, you know what I mean? You're not exactly going into the depths of your very soul. <laughs> and I think Mexico, I could do that a little bit. Right. But I think being allowed to just grow a few more, like a, a year older, made my album 300 times better. Because it's a year of introspection, too, because you were sort of forced to not do. And so then you really can focus on the writing and not like, let me try to write this song while I'm doing all these other shows and interviews and whatnot. And being in love. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. yeah, So this seems like a seems like a nice young man. Yeah, yeah, he's all right. He's all right on the occasion. (laughs) No, I I fell in love and I had to work. We worked together for two years. You worked together before you were partners or? No, we pretty much were born on the road. Like, Uh, you know, we kind of met. And then I really wanted to incorporate him. This is so funny. It's how business I am. I wanted to incorporate him into my life. (laughs) (laughs) Wanted to write him in. How romantic. Um, No, I'm kidding. I mean, I'm not kidding, but he learned guitar primarily, like electric. He played acoustic to come on the road with me. And so we were just working, working, working. And I think for me, I was trying to work out a way of my brain not treating him with my past, not... Judging right, your him. past of like Houdini's bad relationships and that disappeared on you. Yeah. yeah. And this album is a celebration of that. You know, it's called Different Kinds of Light and it's about. <gasps> oh, I didn't know what it was yeah, called. That's yeah. such a great name. So it's about like going through these different phases of being allowed to be in love and feeling a permission to do that and feeling a respect for your partner without a suspicion, you know, because that's another thing you get from, you know, watching various bad men you, you're suspicious of the good ones you're like when are you gonna i was suspicious into- of my husband too like, yeah. what, is this? <laughs> what is happening here when but- are you gonna expect me to be subservient or to do the dishes or yep. when are you gonna stop doing your part like all this crap and it is crap in your brain it kind of has to go away and that's what this record was about processing you know being allowed to just be in love with a great person i'm hoping that i know the answer to this question but did you feel a lot of pressure in this second album or um, did you feel like you had time surprise at the time 
I had the time because I've had the forced time. So I had the time to write. And when I wrote, like I know when to be confident in the songs. And the songs, you know, really great. Like, I'm, you know, not to sound cocky, but they're really great songs. You know, I'm really happy with what I made. And so that confidence just led the process to be so smooth. I wasn't sat feeling insecure about the chorus or the verse or I was sat there going like, how do I make this vocal take killer? And what about like the tour? So you're on this like little mini tour Mm -hmm. of the American Mm -hmm. South. Thanks for coming. I mean, I love it. You know, I've moved to Austin, Texas now. You have? Yeah. Oh, great. I've been here six months. I've got a little dog and I've put roots down. Great. But yeah, we've got festivals this year, you know, some very small ones, probably an autumn tour. Yeah. You know, you get to navigate the success of your record, whether it's a lot, whether it's a little. So you never know. You never know. Yeah, I can tell. You're you're good. You're good. You're good. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited. We're so excited to see the show. Thank you. All right. So, Sari, uh, recap? Yes. All right. So we've taken a few days to let that all soak in, seeing <laughs> our first concert, meeting each other, which was super exciting. First of all, she's just delightful. <laughs> I love all of her mentions of being, you know, in her older age at 23. (laughs) 23 is so good. But I just came out of that so encouraged because, you know, with Jade, you see the power of role models and mentors, right? Like she feels like she has a long runway. She feels like she can look to artists like Brandi Carlisle as models, not just a model for how to be a very successful and respected singer-songwriter, But how to take your family out on the road, how to not have to sacrifice your family in order to be um, a successful artist. And then also just how Jade, you know, there's no makeup, there's no jewelry, there's no fancy clothes. You know, it's like finally you're starting to see this kind of like confidence take hold, ownership take hold. And an artist that young, it's just very encouraging. And that whole thing about her stories, her writing, her music, not scanning because she is an authentic 18 year to 23 year old woman, which was when she was writing her first yep. and second albums. I thought that was so interesting because it's so true. Like, you know, a man who might be the gatekeeper of her album wouldn't understand those stories, those experiences of a young woman. But women are like, yes, <laughs> I totally get that. And yeah. I would assume that women are a majority of her audience. And so they can't see what's so good. And I feel like that kind of can extend to like every industry. You know, we try to tell our bosses something isn't working for us and they don't understand because they don't have the experiences of a woman in our position, things like that. Mm-hmm. Just another reminder that like women being in those positions of power is so powerful. Right. If you're doing something differently, don't expect it to be recognized. Yeah. Right. So that's not where you should go looking for feedback. Exactly. <laughs> you should like understand that it's something different. And so it might take a while for it to for people to sit with it. But, you know, you got to do things differently. So you got to do something new. I also thought it was just so telling that she was talking about how you know, you and I have both heard this song Houdini and we kind of talked about it with her. Mm-hmm. She told us it was about the relationship between her parents and a scene that she remembers from when she was young when her parents were fighting. And yet the media decided that it was her newest breakup song. It's <laughs> just like <laughs> Right. Like uh, yeah, yeah, women are pining over men and then you also have to put women in a box about like the the music relating to it's always how a woman relates to a man in her life and how yeah. she is like helpless in comparison to him. And it, it's just like it wasn't even at all about that. Yeah. Jade would never sing like that. (laughs) Jade would never do that. What about the show itself? 
The show itself was awesome. I mean, that voice is just phenomenal. She had and, a few new ones, too, that I'm really yep. excited to hear on her album, which is coming out in August. And I just, I was so excited to see her in person for the first time. Glad we did <laughs> so it. So good. And so good to meet you, indeed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is Just Something About Her, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. Thank you to Jade Bird for being on the show. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating in the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmieri. D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Jessica Williams handles research. Stephanie Stender is our post producer. Sari Soffer is our producer. And Christian Castro Roussel is our executive producer.